Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast where we talk about the biggest and the best films coming to theaters and streaming online. I got to say, though, in 2024, it's been hard f- trying to find the best films. But uh, OK, from the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni, film editor for InBetweenDrafts.com. And from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, homegrown. He is a freelance film writer and to this day he owns a car that is going places it's will ashton what up yeah i can finally say for once on this podcast that i am in a film that we're talking about (laughs) sure we never did a retro review of perks of being a wallflower i guess no we did not no but it's been a bit of a mind hunter uh we did american pickle well that's the thing right is that so, yeah, I, I mean, back when I was freshly out of high school, I did some extra work in Perks Me and Wildflower, a film that apparently is more popular than I originally thought, just going off the letterbox. Like, oh, I, yeah, I looked at it and it's like one of the most watched films on the site. I'm assuming because of how young the general audience is for letterbox. But I remember when it uh, came out, I was in right out of college. And I just remember, I think part of it was like the Emma Stone role kind of like or not emma stone uh, watson. emma watson i think that had a lot of people interested because they were like oh hermione after harry potter that's interesting and so i think that also the movie was interesting people liked it and it was it was one of those few movies that could work back it's like at the very end of when a movie like that could have some kind of cultural like monoculture <laughs> shared awareness that doesn't really happen anymore i guess i just don't remember it being like a big box office i remember it was like no. well liked but in any case to launch an Imagine Dragons song, which that's a whole other mm. controversy because that was the first time I ever heard Imagine Dragons was uh, actually, no, that's not true. I think I heard the song before the trailer, but I remember being like, oh, I've heard the song before anyway. We're not here to talk about Perks being a wallflower. Okay. Uh, but, if, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, real quick, real quick. Okay. You, you, don't forget, I just, I just got to remind the listeners that they can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on cinemaholics.com. And our, our email is cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com if they want to reach out. That's all. And uh, as always, we, we always ask that if you like the show, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. You know what to do, and we appreciate it. But sorry, Will, you were going to say something really cool? Well, I was going to say, I mean, since then, I mean, it's very infrequent, but anytime they do film something around here, just out of curiosity and, and in interest and in, yeah. Yeah, in Pittsburgh, of course, where I'm from, you know, I like to be, you know, I, I haven't really directed a lot or like written a lot of films or anything, maybe a couple of shorts out of college. But yeah, I mean, I just don't really have a lot of film set experience. So it's always fun for me not only to be like involved with it, but to see the gears kind of turning and stuff, because like I think. I don't know. There's been a whole thing this week, at least with like the Chris Stuckman thing. I don't know if you've even been following that, where he chose not to review improper, like a one of the movies this week, Madam Web, because he was like, right. Oh, I've worked on indie set or, you know, whatever. He, he said, like, I, you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing it because of, I know how hard it is to work on a film set or whatever. And the thing is, I think he's mostly wrong, but I think there is a kernel of truth there in the sense of like, I think a lot of people, a personal choice. Well, that's I think he just doesn't there. feel comfortable doing it. I don't. I don't know if he. If and, and sorry, I, I. I don't. I did watch part of the Madam Web thing. I got kind of bored, but I. I don't know. Based on what he was saying, I get more of the sense that like it just is something that kind of icks him, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't feel comfortable doing it." And I, you know what? Like, sure, like that's fine. There are other directors who would do. I don't. I don't get the sense that he like 
has that as a mandate that like nobody should do that if you know they're a director they worked on a movie or something well in any case what i was trying to say is i i don't think it was i, I mean i'm of the opinion that you know if he wants to be a critic or if he wants to be a filmmaker that's here or there i don't think he should feel that those two should conflict or interact with each other i'm not really here though to criticize him or his thoughts or that video i'm just saying there is a small kernel of truth, which is I feel like most people like ourselves uh, are benefited if they do get a chance to even be a very small part of of a film set because you do actually mm-hmm. learn quite a bit about the process, what goes involved with it, what like directing or even like PA work is or stunt work or you know just like you get to kind of see on the ground level like what it's like to make a film. Yeah, so totally. I definitely, yeah, I definitely, it's just, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I just was going to say, I mean, if anyone ever gets a chance outside of it just being fun, you know, I, I would recommend, especially if, if you're in a similar line of as work as ourselves. Yeah, I, would, I was just going to say, I, you know, in, in terms of Chris Tuckman, I think, yeah, it, it comes across to me as he doesn't want to be a critic anymore. He just wants to be a film enthusiast, which I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, you already kind of were, but uh, you know, not not a dig at him at all. I think he's a, he seems like a very nice guy. But I've been a it, film enthusiast all my life. You know, I grew up enthusing films. You're right. That's it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he genuinely seems like a, a pretty decent dude. So I, I hope his uh, movie is successful. But, you know, I think, you know, for me, I, I, I've i never worked on a movie. I've, I, I don't think I've been on a movie set. I think I've been on sets, though. I've been, I, I have worked on like commercials and things like that. So I do have experience in just like the production of something and a script sure. and things like that, which is probably why i don't i've never had an interest in myself you know being a film creator person i've always felt more comfortable working on books and things like that so Hmm. i I get what you're saying because it does add to your your knowledge but it it, it's also kind of like a it's like a two-way street it's like the more interested you are in the medium the more you're going to gravitate toward those opportunities to be on a set and kind of you know those things kind of feed into each other a lot too i think there are some people who wouldn't enjoy being an extra in a movie you know even unless they were like super passionate about movies and they really you know enjoyed the process and you know maybe there are some people who do you know have that passion but then they go to a set and they have to do the the long labor of being an extra sitting around and they're like yeah you know maybe this isn't for me so sure it's it's a multifaceted experience i'm sure many of our listeners because we have plenty of in- film enthusiasts and you know mm. film critics who listen to us for whatever reason. Oh, who I think to what you're saying would love being on a set. I can I can definitely see that. Yeah, but anyway, all that is to say, since we've done this show, I haven't really had the the privilege of actually being in a film. That's not to say I haven't been involved with film productions, but it's just been kind of a trial and error sort of thing, as you mentioned. I got to do a very small scene in. Where'd you go, Bernadette? Which Richard Link later. It was cool to you know be in the same room as him, but that scene entirely was cut, <laughs> uh, and I didn't get to see it, which I guess worked out because I didn't think that film was very good. But as you mentioned, I did a couple scenes with American Pickle, which I was really excited about, and I, I do actually like that film a decent bit. But yeah, that scene also, both scenes I think I was involved with are, were cut completely, which I, I was really surprised by and disappointed by, even though I do like the film. So I was. Weary but optimistic when I heard that a Coen brother, I can't say the Coen brothers, two of my absolute favorite filmmakers. I think I've talked about them at length on this show. Sure. Um, I love them. They've been very formative to my love and fascination of film and comedy and just what you can do with storytelling as well. But, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know if it's going to work out, but 
I went to the what they would call, I guess, a casting call for extras. It's not like you do an audition. You just kind of, you know, get your picture taken. You fill out a form and then just hope for the best. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but it worked out because and the thing where they talk about your car, it's like, what kind of car do you drive? I at the time and I guess as of now, but I don't know when this episode comes out, am driving 2000 Pontiac, Montana. As uh, people who see this film will know, it takes place in 1999. So, you know, totally coincidental. I was just there to see if I could get in a Coen Brother movie, but mm, they're yeah, all excited. You couldn't have known, right? That it was right. set in 1999 at that point. Right. Yeah. So they were all hyped. So to my great fortune, I'd say I got, you know, several calls to be involved with this film, even to the point where I couldn't do an episode of our sister podcast, Mad Men Men, because I was working on one of the scenes in this film. And so, you know, I, I got the privilege of being around for a few days on this film. And I also got to do an in-person scene, which to my great surprise is also in the film. So it didn't get uh, cut. Yeah. The, get cut. yeah one of the Coen brothers, at least uh, recognized the error of Richard sure. Linklater and uh, yes. whoever directed American Pickle, I forget. Sure. But yeah, so all that to say, for one, obviously, I'm going to be very biased in my opinion yeah, was, of this film. Uh, say, you know, yeah. Can't really say I have a clear objective opinion of the film that's not to say I, I feel i can't share my opinion but I, I i'll obviously have a few caveats there but but also i just think like you know i feel very blessed i guess is what i'm trying to say is you know not a lot of people get to you know have a direct like experience with some of their favorite filmmakers uh let alone see themselves in one of their films so that's not me bragging that's not me you know trying to be hoity-toity or anything that's just me genuinely being very thankful about my odd place in life and just that, you know, something totally I would never have expected when I was, you know, 13 year old watching mm-hmm. like Big Lebowski and Fargo and stuff thinking whatever happened has happened. And, you know, it's obviously a very small thing. It's like a blink. You miss a cameo, but yeah, I don't know. It's just really cool, man. I don't know. It's I don't really have cool anything. To see and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it speaks to, to, you know, taking a step back from it, that Pennsylvania is a cool place to shoot a movie because it's a very unique place in terms of how you can shoot a scene there and how it can be period, you know, should be stated perks of being a wallflower. This movie, they're both nineties movies, you know, and there's plenty of other, you know, Pitt, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania movies that have been shot that take place in the seventies, you know, and, and things like sure. that. So I get it. You're saying we're lost in time. Uh, and <laughs> I think that, that no, you're like the you're unique. Like you got like a cool aesthetic and feel that's sure. kind of timeless. Yeah, you're saying we're not hip with it, and that we don't have no. the ritz and glamour of San you Francisco. Forget, and you your forget new where startups. I live? In, yeah. So barring San Francisco, <laughs> California, especially, and like San Jose, the Silicon Valley, it's like the Truman Show when it comes to like the architecture and the buildings themselves. It is so staid. It's like copy paste. Everything looks the same. It's all chain restaurants. It's like that's all over America. So no, I am unironically being like, yeah, Pittsburgh, I've never been, but it does seem to have like a pretty unique feel that you can't get just anywhere. You know what I mean? So, and I, I am lucky that, you know, San Francisco is like that as well. San Francisco is extremely unique as we all know. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want you to down talk San Francisco. I mean, I was blessed enough to, uh, I'm down talking Silicon there. Valley. I'll do that all day. Yeah. Oh, sure. Bay area at large. Sure. But no, I mean, I think San Francisco is a very lovely area by and large. But yeah, I mean, obviously it's going to have its downsides like any city, I'm sure. Hmm. Yeah, yes. I, I'm sure somebody out there has an opinion about San Francisco. <laughs> but no, we're here to talk about oh, driveway really? dolls. <laughs> I have to admit, it's hard for me to talk about this movie at this point. I, I saw it a long time ago and like two, three weeks ago. And I, I literally like we're talking about this movie right after I just watched Dune Part Two, which was like okay. nearly three hours. 
Sure. And so obviously that movie is like digging in my brain right now. But obviously not here to talk about Dune Part 2. I will be working on my review of that literally after, sure. right after we talk about this one. Uh, I'll do my best. Yeah. So you have your bias going into this and I have my bias of like wanting to think about Dune instead. Yeah. I mean, also <laughs> balances out. Uh, you know, almost polar opposites in the sense of uh, Dune, I have to assume, was close to, if not three hours. And this is a breezy, in my opinion, 84 minutes. If It's like barely even feature length film in some respects. There was a point where this movie was like just ending and I was like, wow, that that was real quick. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's let's set this one up for people who, who don't know the story. So Drive Away Dolls, we've already mentioned, is directed by one of the Coen brothers, Ethan Coen. Now, just as a quick refresher, the Coen brothers have been, they, they've made movies together since the early 90s, but, or not the early 90s, early 80s, excuse me, Blood Simple was 84. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Joel has directed one movie on his own. That was The Tragedy of Macbeth. That was the A24 Apple TV Plus award season movie that uh, didn't get a lot of accolades, but uh, critics definitely responded well to it. I didn't love it, but uh, Will, you really loved it. Uh, I think it was in your top 10 of 2021, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, No, it wasn't in my top 10. Okay. I did. I I think I put it. Yeah, I think I did put it in my honorable mentions. I do quite enjoy it. Obviously, I, I think it is kind of missing, you know, some of the flavor of their collaborations. And that's not to say because it's black and white. I just mean, you know, I feel like it is kind of strained in a way that I feel like is a little, their their collaborations are a little bit more loose and and free flowing. But but yeah, no, I still enjoy. It. I think it is a really solid film, and I think at this point, a little underrated given how you and some other people have kind of. Uh, okay, well, uh, sure. <laughs> as far as Ethan Cohen goes, uh, just in 2022, he his first solo was uh, he did Jerry Lee Lewis Trouble in Mind. Uh, that was a, an A24 Which movie, a documentary. Has still not come out. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, that thing has been on the shelf yeah. for quite a while. And that movie also, uh, edited by Trisha Cook, Ethan Cohen's wife, and Drive Away Dolls, uh, is not just directed by Ethan Cohen, who co-wrote the script, but also kind of also wrote the screenplay and edited the film together with Trisha Cook. So, And they produced it. Drive Away Dolls, which we've already said to, takes place in 1999. And uh, this is a Focus Features film. It stars Margaret Qualley, Geraldine Viswanathan, Beanie Feldstein, Coleman Domingo, Pedro Pascal, Bill Camp, Matt Damon, and Will Ashton. I, of course, had to fit you in there. And uh, the, the setup of this movie, it's, it, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of like how, how to describe this thing. It was actually pitched in January 2007 under the title Drive Away Dykes, which is like Definitely a different, you know, speaking to this being a queer film, this was something that was originally going to take place, I think, you know, in the 70s, I think, or it was going to be like ripping more from like 70s exploitation movies. But you do get a lot of that. It, it's kind of got a little bit of Tarantino to it. It's got a lot of classic Coen brothers to it sure. as well. It's gone through a lot of development hell. Um, uh, there have been a lot of different stars attached to it. Yeah. I mean, I guess I should note that. This is one of those films that I think initially, from what I can recall, Trisha Cook and Ethan Cohen weren't really planning to make. It was just kind of more of like a relationship exercise. From what I heard, like they were just kind of because they both work. They, they uh, pitched in the, the film. movie literally to a friend. Yeah. Like but, this, uh, that was was pitched in a yeah. year ago. But I, I, I don't know if initially they were even planning to make it. It has kind of like, hey, let's just write something fun and see what happens, which I think is really embedded into the film but i'm sure you're right that along the way at various points they maybe even 
entertain the idea to the point of, you know, maybe almost getting funding or having different stars attached or what have you. But I do believe if I am correct that the initial conceit was just like a writing exercise, basically just kind of like seeing what would happen if the two of them would write a movie together and just kind of, you know, having some some fun professionally and personally. This is the first time that Ethan Cohen, I think both of the Coens were kind of taking a step back from making movies after Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't been as prolific uh, just because I, I think it was, might have been Ethan who said that he was basically like, it's not really fun for me anymore. And, you know, I, I think both of them kind of are feeling that, but more Ethan mm-hmm. uh, at this point. So to what you're saying, this was something that apparently COVID happened. And so Ethan and Trisha Cook, like they were like, you know what, Let, let's make this movie. Sure. And so here we are now. The movie is about two lesbians. They're played by Margaret Qualley and Geraldine Viswanathan. Margaret Qualley, who kind of plays kind of like Shane from the L word, you know, the kind of like she's very extroverted. She like likes to sleep with a lot of people. She's in a relationship, but she cheats on her girlfriend all the time. She's very dynamic and a bit of a bit of a dynamo, right? And then Geraldine Viswanathan kind of plays this like office worker who's very repressed, very like doesn't give anybody an inch, very kind of like, you know. She hasn't been in a relationship in a while. She just kind of looks at the world very strangely. Uh, Not strangely, I should say, but a little bit more seriously, more sternly. The two of them kind of get involved in this sort of impromptu road trip where it it just kind of feels like both of them just want to get out of town for a while, drive down to Tallahassee. They take a driveaway car, like renting a car to bring it down there, and they unwittingly get wrapped up into some kind of criminal conspiracy because there's apparently a briefcase with something very, very bad in in the briefcase. So a little bit of uh, No Country for Old Men dancing around in there, a little bit of something like Bad Times at El Royale, you know, that kind of like grimy, like I said, 70s sort of exploitation criminal thing. This movie, though, kind of plays it more as like a psychedelic comedy at times, definitely more of like a, a, a black comedy in some ways. It, it It does have like straight up just black comedic scenes, yeah, but then it also has like the typical guns and violence and everything. I'm just going to say off the bat, Will, I'm very happy that you're in this movie. I spotted you. I was very excited. I saw your car and yeah. that was really nice. I hate this movie. I, I think that this movie is horrifically bad and I don't know what happened here because I think the setup is actually very interesting. And I, I, watching the trailer, I was like, man, I, I'm actually getting into this. I feel like this could be a really fun setup. I like that it's set in 1999. It's got that grimier feel to it. It seemed like the dry humor was really going to work for me. This movie, though, you kind of mentioned it's 84 minutes. The pacing is hellish. I, I, I tend to find it just completely incoherent in a lot of different ways. But when it comes down to it, I think these characters, I don't know what went wrong here with these characters, but I think they are so interesting in the very beginning. They're, they're kind of an odd couple. And I wanted to spend the movie getting to know them more. I feel like as the movie went on, they vanished and they stopped being characters to me and they started just sort of being strung along by the plot. And I was horribly disappointed because, you know, I I think the very first scene, the cold open, also very awkward and stilted. And I was like, this is kind of strange. I'm not sure what this movie's energy is, but I'll stick with it. Maybe it'll come along. And then, you know, we start to get introduced to the characters. I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. You know, they're this is kind of wacky at points. Beanie Feldstein's kind of funny. But then once the plot really kicks in, with the exception of a handful of scenes and a couple of like character choices that I thought were really, you know, genuinely kind of funny and intriguing, 
This movie just completely lost me. It gets to a point where the cameos become nonsense. And, and it's frustrating because there is a reveal of like what's in the briefcase. I think that's perfect. I think that there are like elements here. I'm just like, this, this is, there, there's nuggets here, but it doesn't come together for a story at all for me. I think that this is just like a, I drove away from the theater just feeling like, you know, I got dolled up for nothing. But Will Ashton, tell us all about your A plus for Drive Away Dolls. Well, speaking of getting dolled up, I guess I should say, like you, I, I think we saw it on the same day. I'll bet you saw it briefly before me. So you primed me that uh, I would be in the film. So with that in mind, I got my finest tuxedo t-shirt on. Nice all uh, the photos. <laughs> yeah. It's on Instagram if you wish to see it. I also put a nice little bow tie on my car, which uh, was more labor intensive than I anticipated. Worth but it. The only downside was that I guess because I was driving on the highway to get to the theater, the bow tie at some point, uh, unbeknownst to me, flew off the ca- off the car <laughs> before I got to the theater. But thankfully, I got a picture beforehand, so the 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 memories can live on. But in any case, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm going to be biased, not only because my involvement with the film, even if it's very very small, but also just because of how much I like the filmmaker involved. But I don't know, I had a good time with this man. I mean, I know, yeah, I, I get what you're saying as far as like structurally. This thing is just a mess. Like, obviously, even at 84 minutes, I think it does. I agree with you. I think it does kind of lumber in the middle a little bit. It feels less short footed in that segment. But even in, the, in certain points, it doesn't feel as confidently directed. Maybe just because Ethan isn't someone who, you know, usually directs by himself. Although it should be said, obviously, she's not credited as such. But from what I have heard, Trisha Cook was basically the co director of the film. So I guess that should be noted as well. And I think that took you back when I mentioned that because you were of the opinion that uh, none of these women characters sounded like they ever came from the the pen or the direction of a, of a woman. I believe you were saying that off the air, though I don't want to speak on your behalf. Uh, at, at times, not the entire movie, but yeah, like there there were just some strange things that were happening in this movie. Like it, they have exceptions because I think that there's a whole scene involving like this all girls sports team where that to me felt like yes, that was something dreamed up by someone who clearly has like a voice of like femininity or something. It could have been, you think, I don't know, but that to me rang authentic. But then there were other things that, especially like the second half of the movie where the character started just, I don't know, again, they completely lost me with like what their characterization was, like what their motivations were, what they were trying to accomplish. And it just, yeah, it it baffled me and really got on my nerves because I wanted to really like this movie. But anyway, yeah, I mean- as you're mentioning, it is kind of a, a blending of certain genres. I think for me, it does feel mostly like sort of a Russ Meyer Pache by way of like the tone of something like something like Raising Arizona, the Coen Brothers film, along with Dark uh, Americana, which I I love. I want more of these movies. That even makes me more upset. As well as something like, as I mentioned before, like Big Lebowski in the sense of like a character kind of finding himself in, in, in a genre film like these characters are sort of like happenstance finding yeah. themselves in this sort of you know thriller film not really like by choice but like not super passive either but yeah i mean i think for me i think it just does kind of rely on the the wit and the charm of the wit of the the screenplay and the charm of the cast i i really do think margaret quayley is really coming into her own as not only an actress but a lead actress Obviously, she is Andy McDowell's daughter, and I feel like she's even, in some respects, better than her mom as far as like being naturally kind of charismatic and and having just a real like earnestness and likability as far as her screen presence goes. 
Geraldine Venezuela. Is that how you pronounce it? Geraldine Viswanathan. Viswanathan, yeah. I, I, her performance felt maybe a little bit more effortful, I guess, uh, in the sense of like, it didn't feel as natural compared to her co-star, but I think she plays well. And I think they, they have a warm sort of chemistry together. They I really had chemistry, like- says who? I, I genuinely, I was looking for it. They had more okay. chemistry when they were kind of like almost frenemies. But then as the movie well, goes on, I mean. yeah. this movie's missing things. Like it, it's missing entire scenes, it feels like, because like establishing <laughs> scenes. I did not get this character. There were times when they're they're communicating with each other, and I'm like, "But wait, th- like three scenes ago, this was a completely different dynamic." And so, you why isn't that being set up? It, I don't know. I I, uh, I agree with you about Quali. I think she's good in this. Like she's playing a character. This one thing, I just felt like I don't know. There, there was something with the character here where I was like, it, it was getting lost on the page or something. I'm not sure mm. what was going on there. And I'm a big fan I, of this one thing, as you know. Yeah, yeah, I really like her as well. I don't know if I fully agree. I think it's intentional that her journey is a little bit more insular. And and like there's a whole thing with a book that I won't give away that I think is kind of central to her character dynamic that I think the film isn't really shy about spelling out. But, you know, I, I, I don't think I felt that same sort of absence that you felt in that respect. Though I think you, you can say, and maybe this comes down to pacing, that there is a sort of like over eagerness, like a rushing sort of pacing here. That does kind of feel like maybe the the smaller moments don't really get as much time to breathe just because the film feels so active. And it should be said that I think because this is edited by Trisha Cook as opposed to the Coens who usually edit their own films, it does have a different sort of like energy going into it as far as the edit goes. Like there's a lot of like, you know, like sort of like zip cuts and like just some like very, <laughs> very unexpected sort of scene transitions throughout not just the sort of psychedelic stuff that you were referring to earlier but just like the way that frames will just kind of change uh, from scene to scene is just i i think people are going to be surprised if they're cohen heads like you know myself as far as the way the style of the film but i don't know i mean i i it's almost like a stereotype or like a cliche to say that you know joel is a serious cohen brother and ethan's the funny one but like they're not doing anything <laughs> in their <laughs> separate efforts to uh, dissuade that obviously i mean this one like you said if it is a way for ethan cohen to just kind of fall in love with the the passion of making film again i think it was a worthwhile effort i think it's you know obviously it's it's a lesser effort i think it's a minor cohen film and i feel like you know both of their films separately unless i'm proven otherwise are probably going to be minor films until they hopefully you know collaborate again you know but i i can't say i had a bad time with this i i earnestly and and sincerely had a really good time. I got to see it with my mom, and it was just very sweet. Okay. A night out for okay. us wasn't awkward at all. Or actually, I thought it was going to be, but I don't know. I didn't think it was awkward. It, it, it felt like mom we were just Ashen's both ha- pretty hip. I think we were just both having fun, and you know, I got the point out when my car was in the film. I got the point out <laughs> when I was in the film, and you know, uh, it was <laughs> just like pretty nice. I don't know. We just had a good time, you know. I mean, yeah, I can't. You know, like I said, you know, maybe take my opinion with some grains of salt, but. I don't know. I, I genuinely don't feel the the hatred or or the animosity you feel towards this film because I just think it's so, I don't know, agreeable, I guess, that I, I have a hard time feeling any sort of uh, anger, I guess, towards the film. I don't know. I, yeah, I didn't have that same agreeability. I, there, there are these two characters, like they're like the uh, criminal characters who work for Coleman Domingo. They yeah. have a very sort of Fargo dynamic. Yes. That I was liking it first because I was like, yeah, you know, Fargo, I like this. But then at a certain point, I was like, 
But this feels like just a lesser copy of something that Joel clearly feels comfortable doing. And I felt like uh, by the end of it, I didn't get anything out of it. I, I felt like it just kind of amounted to not really anything. And so uh, to me, the movie, you have to hang on to like the lesbian sort of friendship here. And so that's more interesting to me. That's different. That's something that I haven't really seen in a Coen Brothers movie, oh, uh, yeah. especially with these two very you know up and coming actors who are becoming more and more well known. And I just think it kind of flubs. And what's the insight? What's what's I feel like it's a movie with nothing but boring parts in terms of like characters moving along. Well, yeah, I got several things to say to that. First, as far as the the two guys there, the the henchmen, who I do think it, I would be remiss if I didn't say, you know, the obvious, which is that they are very much the Cobb and Cooper to <laughs> To ourselves, so maybe that's a part bit of more my, R-rated, but sure. <laughs> sure. But maybe that was part of my appreciation of their things. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue otherwise. I mean, I just rewatched shortly before I saw this film, Fargo, which I maintain is, if not their best, certainly one of the best and one of my absolute favorite films. Uh, and I think a pretty damn near perfect film as well. If, if I had to uh, pick a personal favorite, it usually comes down to like Hail Caesar myself. Hmm, that's interesting. I really like Hail Caesar. I, I, I can't say it's Me my too. favorite, but I mean, I think that's a credit to the Coens that it's, it's you know, a personal can, thing. Yeah. It's yeah, just more I mean, of like, it's my movie for me. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a very, I, I can see that one be a very easy, like comfort watch, like yeah. in a way that Big Lebowski is like kind of a comfort watch for me. But in any case, yeah, I, 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 I get what you're saying where it doesn't really lead to anything, but to me, that feels like totally Coen brother ass, like the, their sort of final scenes together feel like straight out of like burn after reading just the the sort of nonsense and the the goofiness and the you know the way it, it like there's there's no like I, I can't say there's no rhyme or reason to it but but there is a sort of like a deliberate sort of disconnect disconnect there that i feel is very i don't know it just feels very spirited and funny and i felt more inspired by that than i think if they went a more traditional you know thriller noir kind of route as you I, were anticipating I guess where I differ is that, you know, I, I agree that Burn After Reading is so outlandish, but I do think there is something like there was a takeaway with that movie that I remember that I did kind of get something from, especially at the time when I watched it. You know, I watched it at a very specific time in my life. And sure. a lot of this could come down to me watching a movie like this at this point. I feel like I'm watching the, like, you know, well, Tarantino, the L word, and I'm kind of like, it, it's so <laughs> pache. It's so kind of out of, you know, step with where I think, you know a lot of this material kind of is at this point. I don't know what it is. It, it, maybe it's, it, I'm reading too many like queer books or something and I'm like, you know, kind of bogged down in my expectations of what like, you know, a uh, queer narrative, you know, in this way could be. I, because I, I kind of went into it being like, this feels kind of like a fresh premise. And then I walked away being like, what what really was fresh about it? it and I don't, I don't know. I, it, there was something that I just kept waiting to happen, you know, with it. Well, I think it should be said and obviously, the burn after reading connection is more directed towards that subplot that we're talking about, the B plot of the film. But I do think this is more overtly political than you know most of the Coen Brothers films. Uh, obvious, like for some obvious reasons later on. But I think there is yeah, just a sort of that's fair. Uh, I I do think the film is saying something. Like I, I don't it just, think it's it just, comes out of nowhere. I I kind of get that because like it was like the very end of the movie where I was like, oh yeah, now you're going to try to get a point out of it. But I, to me, it was so limp, no pun intended, that I'm just kind of yeah. like, you know? Uh, yeah, I guess for me, I don't know, maybe this just comes down to expectations, but I, I don't think there, I, like I said, there's a point to it, politically speaking, but 
I don't think they're even really trying to make like a grand statement in the scheme of things. I think this is really just kind of just like a fun, you know, sort of just genre exercise for these two filmmakers. I think they just, you know, they're just kind of having fun with it again. Like I said, I mean, if this is just their way of kind of being re-enchanted with filmmaking, it, it totally makes sense to me. Just like there's, a, I guess, a liberation that's felt here. And that's not, you know, just kind of talking to the democratic themes of the film, but but rather, like you were referencing before, the overt sexuality of the film, which, you know, I, obviously there's sex in some of the Coen Brothers films, but there is a sort of more chaste nature to those films, like, or there, there's like a kind of Old Testament mindset to them as far as like their... <laughs> it's implied, but never, yeah. Sure. But like, there is a sense here, you know, not even a sense, just like there's a, a liberation, like I was mentioning, of being overt sexually and being raunchy that I, I just feels kind of refreshing for the for this filmmaker i mean in a way that like i can see why like he didn't make this with joel if if like maybe that was the like you know if if doing straight shakespeare adaptations was what was preventing joel from doing something like tragic macbeth with ethan then maybe doing something that's more you know free-minded and, and goofy like this was just what ethan needed to kind of get off his chest and yeah, I'm not going to say it like totally sticks the landing, but I do think to counter your point that for whatever misgivings I I do have about the sort of flimsiness of the middle where maybe there should have been more structurally sound character development or maybe a, a stronger backbone for what was going on. I think the ending really does kind of save it for me just in the sense that it is inspired. It's really funny to me. I think Matt Damon, I won't give away who he plays in the film, but his character to me was really funny. I, he has a monologue in this that I, I, is easily one of my favorite comedic beats of, of the year so far. Yeah, I just think it's a uh, yeah. I think all together it's just an amusing, fun time. Like I'm not gonna say it's gonna be on like my end of the year list or anything, but yeah, I don't know. I I, I guess I'm still just kind of baffled as to why <laughs> you have so many resentments about this film. I've tried it, to explain it, but every time I try to explain it, you jump in and you're just and you're like <laughs> you're well, like well just, here you go. <laughs> I guess I just feel very protective here. It's just like, you know, Aww. but I don't, I mean, should we, I, I do feel like at some point we got to talk about, of course, my performance in the film as bystander at the horse track, which I guess it should be said. The dog track. Yeah. Sorry. Dog track. I, I think, you know, when I was walking, you know, in front of the camera, I think it was very natural. You know, I, I didn't feel forced or put upon. But there's a turn I do where I drop something in the trash can. I kind of walk away and you can see I'm facing the camera. It felt very like, oh, he, the onus is on him, like the camera. It didn't feel very natural to me. It, it kind of took out, it took me a little bit out of the film, I have to admit. I wasn't really paying attention to the dialogue and what was happening in that scene because I was just so distracted by this performance and how it felt very conscious of the camera and all that. I don't know if you felt anything about this particular performance, but I would love to hear your thoughts. I'd have to watch the movie again. So yeah, I don't have any notes for you if that's what you're fishing for. Yeah, no, um, I know. I, I feel like I've kind of explained my issues. Uh, I will say <laughs> real quick, my car toward a force performance, you know, the scene in that parking lot just blew me away. I, I could not believe that was my vehicle. I, I look, you know, completely of the time, very natural, you know, bravo. I, I thought that was, you know, an Oscar worthy performance there. I did want to bring up, I'm not sure why Pedro Pascal is even in this. He gets one scene. Yeah. He kind of sort of pops up later. And again, 
maybe this is one of those movies I'll watch again. And because I'll have a better idea of what it's trying to be, I might be able to kind of follow it without being as like consistently annoyed by it and kind of taken off guard with it in a way that just makes the viewing experience unpleasant, just viscerally unpleasant. But then again, I don't, I don't know if I would want to spend the, the 84 minutes going through this again. And a lot I of mean, it does come into that opening scene. I think it, it's very awkwardly staged. And I think it's very indicative of the whole movie where I feel like whenever like action is happening in the movie or a character is doing something, I'm try- I'm looking for the way in. I'm looking for the like, you know, why should I care that, you know, this character has this briefcase and is doing this thing and then something happens. And if, if some of it's going to be a mystery, right, I want to be tantalized or, you know, I want the movie to kind of give a suggestion to me and kind of throw th- something at me. And a lot of it is just, it, it feels like it's, it's haphazard almost. It, it's almost sort of like shot a little bit quickly, shot a little bit too rushed. I just wonder if, you know, when, when Ethan was working on this and was, was shooting everything, I, I just wonder if like there were elements of the script that just weren't working and they kind of hacked away at things. And it, it just makes the movie feel like I'm, I'm going through honestly, like the cliff notes instead of like the whole picture, which is why I struggle at the end to be like, you know, that was leading toward that. And it's like, okay, but you know, it, because I wasn't pulled in all the way through yeah, I, I I just I don't find the movie very engaging uh, at all, and, and and if anything more distracting than not, particularly with you know not with everybody. I feel like Coleman Domingo and Bill Camp get plenty of uh, fun things to do, and they were kind of bright spots for me in this. Uh, and Feldstein oh, yeah. gets like an action scene that I thought was very funny. So again, it's not like the movie. Like I don't want to come across like this thing's a train wreck. Like you're gonna hate every second of it. To me, it's just more of like a, a series of vignettes that are extremely hit or miss. Uh, sure. I mean, as far as the opening goes, the cold open. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree in the sense that it is a little bit stilted. I think a lot of that kind of comes down to it doesn't take me out of the film, but I, I just don't think Pedro Pascual was very good in this. And I no. don't really get like it, it felt a little too his performance. I felt was a little too self-aware, maybe a little too on in a way that I feel like if they had hired, I don't know, like just some Coen brother regular you know, like William H. Macy or Steve Buscemi, Steve Buscemi or George Clooney or what have you, who I think would have been better about kind of just establishing the stakes, but also just kind of the goofiness of the premise. I think I would have been maybe a little bit more forgiving of whatever stiltiness was intentional in the opening here. But I don't know. I it, I can't say it took me out of the film because, you know, watching that scene, like the first scene in the bar, I felt that nervousness where I was like, OK, I don't I don't know. This may not be great, but there's a build-up to that scene involving a corkscrew, and I won't give away the punchline, but that's the moment where I felt like, okay, I'm in safe hands. Like this is this is going to really? be pretty funny. Yeah, the corkscrew wow. drag. I, I thought that was good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it just it felt very much in line with the Cohen brothers and and Ethan's sense of humor. And yeah, I don't know. Like I, I like I said, I'm just only speaking for myself. Comedy is subjective, as well as you know, I, I have my yeah, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. But uh, but hey, yeah, I don't it it's an original movie and so i'm never i'm i'm always going to hope that these things continue to be made and uh, not enough of them are made you know these kind of mid budget made for grown ups kind of flicks and sure so i'm rooting for it to to kind of succeed in spite of my own personal feelings toward it uh, yeah. i'll put a, put that much out there that's um, you've heard it here folks driveway dolls gets the cinemaholic seal of approval go see in the theater <laughs> wow. near you now we don't have, a, you know, it, the embargo is not up as we record this, so we we, don't, we can't play the Rotten Tomatoes game for this movie. Uh, you know, we can't, mm. you know, even take a look at Letterbox or anything like that. None of that stuff is public yet. Sure. What well, we I can didn't need... do 
Sorry? Uh, what? I said, I didn't even get to finish what I was saying about the cold open, which is just that I think you kind of need to establish some sort of stakes in order to, you know, kind of deliver the punchline later in the film. I agree. I wish the movie the did film. that. Yeah. Sure. But in any case, I think that's the intention of that scene. You can obviously feel if it's effective or ineffective. I mean, I, I have kind of mixed feelings myself about that opening scene, but I do, I do have to echo your sentiment about Bill Camp, who I think is so funny in this movie as Curly. He has a line that I've been chuckling to myself <laughs> thinking about just throughout the day, just the weeks thinking. By contrast, just, this movie escaped my brain almost instantly. Uh, um, well, but, I hope uh, my that, performance. That, that's that's uh, the breaks, you know? Yeah, I hope my performance, you know, at least lingers on your, in, in the recesses of your mind. One of the uh, few things that did, yeah. Okay, well, that's... <laughs> But yeah, hey, since since we can't get any uh, extra context, which we always like to do, we always like to get a read of what other what people are you talking think. about? Um, I'm giving you extra context throughout this whole dang okay. episode. I'm I mean, from other people, Will Ashen, who are less biased. Let's be real. For sure, if you end up seeing the movie, all of you listening, I, I definitely want to know what other people think, and and maybe to find out, you know, hey, where, where's everybody else kind of landing on this? I'm very very curious and interested to find out. Of course, you can email us in mahawkspodcast at gmail.com and just write in if you have a, if you have some thoughts. And if you haven't already, we we do have a Discord. It's in the show notes. It's the in-between drafts Discord. We have a Cinemaholics channel. So yeah, if you have thoughts, chime in there. We'd love to hear you. And Will Ashton, I think that we can play the Rotten Tomatoes game, but just for a different movie. How about that? Uh, okay. I'm not sure which movie it's going to be, but let's Vacation do it. Vacation Friends 2. All right. 31 okay. reviews counted. Vacation Friends 2. It came out August 2023. Will Asher, what do you think the Rotten Tomato score is for Vacation Friends 2? Time for another round. Did Let's you watch attack. this movie? I did not know. I thought you were all about the Vacation I Friends. I can't wait to see it. I've been saving it for a rainy day. Uh, okay, a vacation day. Uh, I don't know, like 31%? No, it's not. 19%, Will Ashen. You're being too nice to Vacation Friends 2. I like it. Okay, mm. audience score, 100 plus ratings. What do you think? I'm going to say uh, 46%. A little bit closer, 39%. So, you know, I, I like this. I, I think that you took a look at Vacation Friends 2 and you were like, people people responded to this negatively, but not that negatively. And then, of course, letterboxed ratings. We have 12,000 watches. That's 11,000 more than I expected. Uh, what do you think the average rating is? 2.4? Oh, very close. 2.3. Very nice. Hmm. And that's Vacation Friends 2. Glad we, we had an opportunity to talk about that one. Well, I do. I mean, I have to imagine Driveway Dolls has at least a letterbox rating at this point. We can guess no. that, I guess. It doesn't? It does not, no. Hmm. No cinema score, no letterboxed rating. There's no reviews that are, it doesn't have like a list yet. Uh, yeah, is it, they're holding, I think Letterbox is doing this more and more now where it's getting harder because of the embargo. I think that they've been, you know, beholden more often to the studios, if that makes sense. So that is that is what is happening now, same thing I noticed with Dune Part 2 when I put my review on there, uh, just a letterboxed review reaction, not a review review. I noticed that like, yeah, you can't really like scroll, you can't browse reviews except from your friends. That's the only thing you can see. But there you go. That is Drive Away Dolls. We'll be back soon to talk about Madam Web. And we have a yeah. special episode planned for that. This is more of like almost like a quasi bonus in terms of, you sure. know, it's not going to be the main event. Madam Web, I feel like. Oh, that's gonna be that's gonna be something else, huh? We're pulling all the stomps for that one. I can't wait with, to record that episode. <laughs> yeah, well, we will, there's gonna be a lot going on with that, and there there is another movie that came out this past weekend that you saw, but I missed my screening. Bob Marley, One Love. Do you have a a sentence to recommend it or not recommend it? Just a sentence. Hold back. Uh, 
it made me appreciate Maestro more. Wow, there you go. And uh, you do have your full review, of course, on inbetweendrafts.com. Yeah. That's true. A five out of 10. And yeah, Bob Marley. I, I, I want to watch the documentary. I never saw the doc and I heard it's good. Which one? There's there multiple ones. I was going to say, there are, there are a variety of documentaries about Bob I Marley. I forget the name of the one that was recommended to me, so I'd have to look it up. But uh, yeah, I was talking to somebody about this because they were like, oh yeah, I want to watch that, but I, I really like the documentary. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I've never seen it. I, I, maybe I should give it a shot. Uh, the only thing that's been on my radar other than that lately, uh, and you know, Madam Webb, uh, we didn't talk about Lisa Frankenstein, but that's been kind of like a soft cult hit for like critic. Like it hasn't been doing super well, but it, there have been some people who are like, yeah, you know what? This movie's kind of cool. This movie's kind of good. I don't know. But I don't really, I don't know if I'll see it at some point. I don't know if it's, it's way too early to even consider this being a cult hit, but I get that. There's the studio, sign, early signs of it, I think. Maybe. I mean, I, I just feel like Focus, who also distributed that film, I guess, uh, just really wants it to be the next Jennifer's Body, which if it is or it isn't, or the we next won't freaky. know for several years. I mean, I don't even think Freaky's a, a cult film as much as I would like it to be. But Wasn't it? Uh, oh, I thought it had a little bit of a following. Maybe not. I don't know. And the only other thing I was going to mention, and, and you know, this isn't a, a movie, but uh, it is a big thing in entertainment right now. Avatar, The Last Airbender, the Netflix live action series is going to be coming out pretty soon. Now, it, it does kind of feel like one of those ones that like could potentially be a Cinemaholics thing, but we have so many other things to get to. We still haven't even done our, our top movies of 2023 yet. But yeah. are you I just want to ask, like, are you going to watch Avatar, The Last Airbender on Netflix? No, I'm not 14. 14? I don't know. It seems like they're marketing this one toward an older audience because they know that people kind of grew up with this and they're like, they're going to be sure. old. I think they want to make something more appealing to, you know, no, early I, 20s, mid 20s, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's in the same vein as like the live action one piece that just came out. I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it seems a little bit more grounded than that, but I, I can't say I haven't seen it. And I, hmm. I've heard kind of mixed to positive things so far. So I don't know what to think yet. I personally, I mean, I'm like, you know what? The, the animated one is like great already. So I don't need this. I don't care if it's good or bad, but if I end up watching it and it's bad, I won't care. Cause I'm like, well, sure. they already did the movie and like the, the show's always going to be there. My thing is that I, I, I'm of two minds. Cause like, it's one of those situations where I hope that people get to experience a story who are like hung up on the early episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender. Like the first like four episodes, they didn't have the budget yet and uh, they're a little bit more kiddish. And then the show gets better and better as it goes. But like this could be a better entryway for people to get into the animated show. But then I worry that this will be the end all be all for some people. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, if it doesn't touch the animated, yeah, I'm a little conflicted on that. But I know for you, it's like, who cares? Uh, well, I guess for me, it just kind of feels like like these Disney live action remakes where just kind of like, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you really wanted to know what this would look like in live action and, and didn't feel satisfied for obvious reasons by the M. Night Shyamalan film, then mm -hmm. I guess that serves its purpose. But yeah, I mean, like you, I'm like kind of like, well, I mean, I still need to get through the animated one, so I, I don't really feel like I need this. But, you know, if, if it makes people happy and I feel like. The the thing that, that dissuaded me was that wasn't the original Avatar creator involved and then left the project? Yeah, but apparently he like there are rumors that they kind of mended the fences. So uh yeah, Michael and uh, Michael Brian DiMartino Michael Dante Brian DiMartino, I always get their names kind of mixed up, but I think it was Michael who like had this open letter to Netflix and there was this kind of like falling out. But I think more recently, like people kind of sleuthed on the internet and were like, Oh, he deleted that. 
and there's talks that like maybe they're being a little bit more conducive with Netflix. And uh, there's this larger thing happening with those creators where they're trying to create their own thing with all the avatar stuff. And that includes like animated stuff, like sequels, spinoffs, things that are in the avatar universe, but not necessarily remaking the, the original, which I think is very more, it's just more exciting. It's like, well, yeah, but also I, I've been feeling this a little bit too in terms of like TV shows and like things that were popular, like Arrested Development or Community. And I'm like, okay, Community will get its movie, but like at a certain point, it's like people just want to milk this stuff to death and it, it gets a little tiresome. But anyway, that's that's a whole tangent. I don't want to delay. This is the end of a, a review of Driveaway Dolls. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I was going to say, I mean, if you if you just want to keep talking, I have plenty more I can say about <laughs> Driveway Dolls. I think I think we should hold off. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the other. Oh, yeah. True Detective Night Country. I was I forgot to mention that. Too, oh, but, yeah. Well, yeah. I still need to watch that. But yeah, I'm not hearing great things. We can things. call it there. We can call sure. it there. But thanks, as always, for listening. Hope to see you all in the Discord if you want to hang out with us directly at all. So from the Internet of California, I'm John O'Gurney. And from the Internet of Pennsylvania, ka I'm Will Ashton. Cars. See you, see you next time. Lesbians. <laughs>